0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. And uh, we are your hosts for this evening. Uh, today, on our uh, menu, uh, we've got Threat Assessment, mm. uh, which is uh, the, the soup du jour uh, for this lovely little temple side cafe
1: threat assessment is one of my favorite topics um which is kind of bizarre coming from a guy who generally isn't all that worried about whether or not he wins or loses um i like uh i like the topic just because i feel like i can always improve and uh, and i feel like there are a lot of people around me who either don't do any threat assessment at all or are bad at it which quite often is even worse than not doing any threat assessment. So what I wanted to talk about was the ba- a basic trifecta of threat assessment. Um, what what just about everybody looks at when they're making and making a determination for threat assessment. Uh, we're going to look at life totals. We're going to look at hand size and we're going to look at board state. Um, and I want to go through each one of those in turn. Uh, we'll sort of talk about uh, the pluses and minuses of each and then uh you know sort of wrap things up at the end with with a with a general look at things so um
0: yeah before we dive deep we have like a quick like a definition i mean like
1: a definition for threat assessment is essentially your determination of which of your opponents is either most capable or is most likely to win the game i mean most capable implies you're looking at a future um so, when I do a threat assessment at the start of the game, before I even know who the commanders are, your entire threat assessment is based on who the opponents are. Uh, and for the most part, uh, a threat assessment at that stage is hardly even valid. It, it's not really, well, it's not really worth anything because you just don't have enough information. But, if you're going to base it on just that, well, then I'm going to choose uh, the opponent that I know is the most capable magic player because Mm -hmm. they're the ones who are most likely to take the best advantage of whatever situation comes up and play it out that way. So that's generally what I'm looking at when we talk about threat assessment. It's it's when we stop and say, who can stop me from doing stuff? Or who is most likely... To do stuff that's going to win the game that I can't really deal with or that I can't stop. This is the whole point of the threat assessment, and a lot of people right. forget that part. Is it's not just, um, it's not just, you know, who is the strongest or who has the best commander.
0: It's very much a case of
1: who has the best commander that I can't deal with at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, with with threat assessment comes this idea that like it's the it's the use of that assessment um it's the uh putting putting it to practice uh uh for me threat assessment is deciding a target uh for any moment for whatever kind of targeting you need done like if you're attacking somebody it's it's assessing who you should really be attacking uh like sometimes there's a clear person who is behind the game that i mean maybe your threat assessment says you should attack them but it's the use of the knowledge at any point in the game to decide what you are doing or which way to use what you're doing i mean there's so many actions in the game it's so hard not to be vague <laughs> um, well, usually exactly
1: yeah. the, the difficulty with um, or one of the difficulties with threat assessment is that you are looking at such a variety of options and as the game progresses, of course, it constantly changes. Um, if my, if the deck that I'm currently running has no counter spells, and I know that my opponent is playing a deck that is likely going to win when they play their sorcery. You know, when they play the sorcery that interacts with the other cards, that's how they're going to win. Okay, so my threat assessment here is I can do nothing to stop them from winning, when they reach that point when they reach the point where they play their key spell i can't interact with it i can't stop it well at that point then all you can do is kill them before that point that point hits (laughs) or figure out a way to make sure that somebody else is killing them yeah okay so that's your threat assessment but how, how you determine the how you assess the threat is it varies from uh you know from situation to situation um
0: yeah because i mean like you were saying it's 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 more than just recognizing the threat it's it's putting it to action it's it's like either do like either minimizing the threat yourself or getting somebody else to do it for you um well right i I i think it's a it's a just as a big of part of threat assessment is following through than just recognizing it i guess right um and and it can be something as minor as I have a board
1: state and I have 20 two two zombies. Uh, one of the one of our opponents has three three two two flyers. So based on just that, you would say the threat assessment is that I am the bigger threat. Yeah. So so for Andy, I am the bigger threat. Okay. Now if Andy's board state is such that we can only attack with one creature at a time, and Andy so happens to have five creatures who can all block but can't stop a flyer. Well, then the threat assessment changes, and suddenly I'm not the primary threat; it's the other guy because he has flying creatures. That's essentially what I'm what I'm talking about with threat assessment. So the the difference is that for this podcast, I'm not, I don't want to go too deep into how to do threat assessment. I want to go. A little deeper into the things that we use to make the determination uh, mm. because threat assessment in and of itself that can be an entire series <laughs> of podcasts <laughs> so the assessment changes for each person and you need to understand how they view threat assessment because that that even ties into your own threat assessment If yeah. you know if the, the person next to you is in a completely vulnerable position, then that affects your threat assessment. It means that maybe the other two players that, you know, where you've decided this person's a bigger threat, it may be that neither one of them are the threat because they're both going to attack somebody else. So
0: they're not even a threat at
1: all. But you don't know that unless you are looking at everybody else's
0: threat assessment. Right. Ability. So uh, now that we kind of understand... Just the general idea of threat assessment. The the first thing anybody looks at, uh, it, probably because it's the easiest, the most uh, known information at any point in the game is life totals. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's 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 probably a, a very basic thing, but it's it's definitely a thing that we all have to keep in mind when doing proper threat assessment. Is is just kind of taking taking a look at the the life totals. Right. Uh, no. I
1: will say right off the, right off the bat, of, of all of the things that we're going to look at, life totals, realistically, should be the last thing you are looking at. Life right. totals are not, in and of themselves, an accurate representation of who the threat is. And this is true no matter what the situation. When somebody's at 45 life and somebody's at 35 life, the fact that someone's at 45 does not mean that they are the bigger threat. It may mean you're going to have to swing an extra time. But when it comes right down to it, life totals can be changed so dramatically, so fast. It's just simply not an accurate representation. Even in the scenario that you just described, one player puts a shock land down and loses two life. And the other player puts an Akum refuge down and gains one life. (laughs) Okay. They gained a life. They're at 41 to 38. They have a tapped land in play. The other guy has an untapped land that can tap for two mana. Now, two different mana. Or two different mana. Yeah. Right. So one mana just two different colors. Which is based on just that. Who who is the bigger threat? Well, clearly the person at 38 life is the bigger threat. They could play something. They could <laughs> do something to stop you from doing whatever it is you're doing. They are the bigger threat. Now, this is a very small discrepancy. We're talking about three life uh, in the greater scheme of things. Three life is is something that you can almost forget about when doing combat math, but <laughs> it's just there, and that's sort of the representation of the limitations involved in li- in using life totals as a, as part of your threat assessment.
0: Yeah, I mean, life totals have such little impact on the game. There's literally a rule. <laughs> there's there's commander damage which just kind of says eh, to life totals like uh obviously depending it, it all depends on the decks used and uh all this other stuff and how damage is actually getting through but like commander damage as a mechanic almost puts life total on the back burner
1: right and almost, and in a diff- and in particular, play groups. When you're talking about decks that win with combo, you know, if somebody forms an infinite loop that can cause a point of damage, then it really doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter who's at 25 life and who's at 45 life. We're just going to do this that many as many times as necessary. Yeah. So there's that. Realistically, the only reason that I've that I've started with life totals that I want this to be a consideration when doing threat assessment is when you're playing against the deck where one deck has 105 life and everybody <laughs> else is at 21, 22. Because then then you're talking about a significant discrepancy. This, where where the volume of le, of life totals becomes such that it actually does make a difference. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at decks, if you're looking at decks that are all playing quote-unquote fair then in theory, (laughs) all three of the players at 20 need to be hammering away at the guy who's at over 100 just to get their life totals down to a spot where they could actually be killed in a turn. Whereas everybody else who's at 20 can be killed in a turn. Yeah. Um, And obviously, the person who's at over 100 life likely has the ability to add 20 life to their life total in a turn or can do something to rapidly enhance that total again to give them a a bigger buffer. So that's really the only area where I'm looking at life totals as part of a significant threat assessment, when the numbers are just really big.
0: I think as basic as it is for uh, threat assessment, I think it is, out of the three things we have listed, probably the least important or at least, like, the thing that should weigh the least in in your assessment. Um, and um, I'm sure most of our listeners, I'm sure you've played uh, some games of Magic. And there is this this pressure uh, where you do feel like the difference in life totals is insurmountable. But when playing a multiplayer game, I think it's never too insurmountable. Uh i think it's it's an important thing to keep in mind but it's not it shouldn't be weighted as much as the rest of what we're about to talk about
1: right and to just sort of wrap it off I've been in so many games where somebody gets an early creature out and makes the decision for who to swing at with their little two2 before anybody has any creatures with <laughs> oh you're at 42. Hit you for two. Now you're down to forty. It's all fair. Like, <laughs> no, you, you know, even at that early stage, you know, look at look at how many cards they have in hand. Look at how many lands they've got in play. Look at look at anything else, and make a determination that way. Um, admittedly, it's too it's too damage, and in the greater scheme of things, it's really not that relevant. And I understand that. But if you're going to do a threat assessment, and even at that early stage, make it accurate, make it count. Uh, I mean, it's so easy to just use the life total as a cop-out, and that's all it is. Uh, even if there's no other information to go with, you can still look at the commanders that everybody's playing and make your determination based on that. I mean...
0: I mean, even even down to, like, uh, we're kind of getting into this idea of, of early game threat assessment, but... Uh, I, when I started playing magic, I had very shaky ideas of threat assessment. Uh, and I still, I I would say that they're still a bit shaky, but they're not that bad. And as soon as I sat down, I think multiple people were like, okay, so what you're going to want to do is just attack Josh. And I was like, uh, I just met him, but I guess that's some good advice, which like, you know, don't always go after the same person. But uh, it is a good grounding point of, like, this person has a better skill level than most of the table. This person builds these more powerful decks. It's, if you can't figure out where to go, go for this person type of thing. Exactly.
1: Uh, And for those of you listening at home, you can change the name Josh to whoever is the dominant player in your particular group, in your meta. (laughs) Because that's basically what it comes down to. Josh is the de- Josh is a better deck builder. He's a better player. He's generally the best player in the bunch and will usually uh and is the one most likely to be able to come out with the win. So, you know, if you can get your pot shots in early. So, um the next topic or the next part of threat assessment that I wanted to talk about was hand size. How about that big? <clears throat> there you go. Yeah. My my hand is about about the size of a hand. Yeah. Um yeah. Five fingers. Still, so far so good. So far good. so good. Um, well, I guess I have hand size, and then there's Kark's thumb. But you know <laughs> that that's Clark's problem, not mine. Um, yeah. No, I mean what we're talking about is the number of cards your opponents have in hand. Simply put, the more cards somebody has in hand, the more likely they are to have an answer. The more likely they are to be able to deal with what you're doing, or to be able to do something themselves. Obviously, there's tie-ins. I mean, they have to be. You know, they have to have the mana on the table to do it. They have to, you know, the situation has to be such to allow it to happen. But hand size just does play a part.
0: Yeah, I've been in many games where I have seven cards in hand and I'm definitely not the biggest threat on uh, at the table, mostly because I'm missing my land drops. Uh, Granted, then you'll have people with 20 cards in hand because they've got, you know, Reliquary Tower XYZ card that allow them to not have a maximum hand size. Uh, And they're that's a pretty obvious threat or if say everyone's got two or three cards except for one person who's got seven and they've been keeping up with their land count it sometimes is pretty easy to just be like oh that person has options they've got they've got a wealth of knowledge uh in their hand um answers for problems they may encounter um Right, and when
1: I describe it as hand size, I mean, admittedly, that is a bit of a misnomer. Um, It's not just the number of cards in hand, although that can play a big part. Um, If they have more cards than you, then the odds are improved that they can do stuff. However, it's not a guarantee if you're watching a player and every single turn they're dropping a land well then it you know it stands to reason that there's a good chance they just they have a lot of land in which case or the other cards in their hand are the ones they're relying on and suddenly you know somebody who has six cards in hand if you're thinking that they've got three lands in there then realistically they only have three cards that could be threats and suddenly that your assessment of you know your assessment of their threat based on hand size has to change Um, What I'm basically talking about, though, is is card quality. So if we're in the late game and somebody's holding seven cards and they don't drop a land, there's a good chance that they don't have any lands in their hand. Most people will continue to put down lands no matter how many lands they have in play. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of players who, who choose not to run any kind of poker face, and when they pull that card off the top, you just have to look at their face to see what they drew because they're telling you, without ever even showing you the card, if they're giving you a disgusted look or they just peel it <laughs> off the top and then just immediately just drop it, well, they drew a land, they dropped it because you know it. Um, but it means that their card, the the threats they're holding in hand, aren't threats at all because they were desperate for something to come off the top
0: of that deck. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to play that... that uh that that pity play though you know uh sometimes you just gotta really play it up with how uh awful your luck is but uh also side note uh if you don't have any cards in hand and you draw a land don't put it down chances are you have plenty of land out and uh if your only card in hand is a land uh just fake it just wait (laughs) um somebody will almost definitely think that it's not a land
1: you will find that there are some players who will do that um they tend to be uh, either better players or players who've been playing a little longer and have just sort of at some point figured it out people who are running decks who've been playing these decks for a long time and they know roughly oh okay once i get to this point with my land playing another one Mm -hmm. is still better but the return but it's diminishing returns Um, and at some point you stop and say, you know what? It's better to hold it in hand and have them think it's something else than to play it out and prove to them that you have nothing. So it's it's sort of that's sort of where where we're at. Um the other part obviously is is with the deck itself. If you played the opponent often enough, perhaps them holding seven cards in their hand still offers no card quality because you know that the deck itself is just it's 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 underpowered. Um you know, I can hold seven cards in hand, but if I'm playing a buzzbark deck that's really a four out of ten against a bunch of eight or nine out of ten decks, then who <laughs> really cares how many cards Bruce is holding? His deck is garbage.
0: So, <laughs> well, so like that—that that kind of also uh, brings me into this idea uh, that within hand size, there's also these two subgroups where it's how those decks play. Uh, in terms of the fact that uh, Graveyard Recursion, if your opponent's deck has a lot of Graveyard Recursion, uh, their hand size is much bigger because they're also including their Graveyard. Um, yeah. Same, same with Tutors. Uh, if somebody, if you know a player at your tables playing with a lot of Tutors, that means their whole deck is is essentially in their hand. Because they have access to these cards mm-hmm. that they're not currently seeing, but... Uh, they can get at any point
1: even after they've played the tutor just remember they (laughs) went and got the card that they absolutely believe they need Mm. so if if you're about to do something and they tutor well then there's a real good chance they're tutoring for something to stop you from doing what you're doing now maybe your best play is to continue forward and have them stop you and you've burned away their counter maybe your best play is to wait let the next schmuck play his spell and then they'll use that to counter that um, but either way whether you know they've got the tutor in hand or you know they've got the card they were looking for it's all about card quality and at that point your threat assessment of their hand uh, you know it could be it's a hand yeah. that hand can only be it might only be two cards big but one of them is the absolute card they wanted <laughs> and you know that you know they're holding it so keep that in mind when you're when you're running your assessment
0: so. I mean, it's why it's why decks like uh, Muldrotha are so hard to like. I I've been trying to dumb down my Muldrotha deck, but it's so hard to because it just has the the inherent value of your hand size is is extremely large because it's everything in your hand and more.
1: Uh, right, uh, with Muldrotha, your hand size is essentially uh, added to by the size of your graveyard. Uh, <laughs> right again that's that is something that you have to keep in mind uh it's not just hand size it's not just the hand quality now you're looking at uh you know accessibility which essentially is what we're talking about when i when i say hand size the hand size is is more a case of you know what can you do on on a most basic level what you can do is what you're holding in your hand that's what you can do um but when you start looking at decks like Moldrotha, other graveyard recursion decks, uh, you know, decks that have access to the first, you know, to the top card of your library, well, those are all essentially additional cards in your hand, and that's, These are all things you need to be considering when you're measuring your threat assessment against your opponents, even on the most basic level. An obvious one is when you're getting close to the mid game and you've got one opponent who is out in front and they're there because they've played the creatures, they've played their spells, they've hit their land drops, they've done everything. They're curving out great. They're at top speed. They've got stuff on the board. They look like the game is really working for them. And then there's the other guy who has also hit their land drops. They've got one or two creatures out there and a mitt full of cards. Okay, so you've got one guy who's got seven cards. The other guy now has none because he's used them all so again who's the bigger threat you cannot ignore hand size and when you when you're making this threat assessment now obviously you can't ignore the board state either and we're going to get to that in a minute but to ignore the idea that this guy has been dropping a land every single turn and now has a handful of cards Hmm. maybe he's just got a lot of land but practically speaking he probably has a lot of expensive spells or perhaps that player is sandbagging and is just sort of sitting on things knowing knowing that they can stop this other player long enough to do it maybe they've got maybe they've got the wrath in hand because they've got seven cards maybe they've got a mass removal spell and they're about to take this person who has no cards in hand to a lousy board state in which case, your threat, assess- <laughs> your threat assessment, when you're looking at these two opponents and what you have on the board, you've got to be saying to yourself, it certainly looks like this person is the bigger threat and you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily looking at the person who has all of the stuff on the battlefield.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to use these these skills that we're always talking about because I'm, I'm the person who's got, you know, 10 creatures out and no cards in hand. That's me. Granted... It's probably not the brightest idea, but sometimes it's fun. Uh,
1: well, exactly, and and I'm not I'm not suggesting your threat assessment should be the be all and end all in how right. you play. There are plenty of times when I've looked at the board and said, "Ooh, this is not the correct play," and did it anyway because man, that was so awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I had a chance to play uh, doubling season and uh, primal vigor in a single mm-hmm. turn with buzzbark, like okay practically speaking this is a mistake I just had to look at the threat assessment I assessed the situation realized that I would be the primary target and at least one of those doublers was going to be gone before my next turn or something would happen that it would make it impossible for me to play buzzbark or worthless to play buzzbark. bark <laughs> um, and I was correct but I did it anyway because, hey, that's just awesome. This isn't us saying that you, that I expect that you will do your threat assessment and say, okay, now I must do this based on my threat assessment. More importantly, I want you to be aware of what is likely going to happen if you do that big play. That's, that's really what we're looking at here. I hate to see somebody do the fun play and not even realize that they've just walked themselves right into the trap. If you're going to walk into the trap to do a fun play, then I want you to know that, you know, <laughs> you know, this is going to be so much fun. I know it's really going to suck when that trap snaps shut on my leg. And it's going to. But man, it's going to be so awesome otherwise. At least you knew what you were getting yourself into. And I think to me... Uh, that makes making the big play far less painful. If you know what to expect or what you've got a a significant expectation of how the table's going to respond, well, you know, then it is what it is. And and you just, you know, you run with it, hope for the best. Maybe you're lucky. Maybe your threat assessment was incorrect. Maybe it turns out that, you know, in spite of all the cards and all the mana, they just didn't have it. Great! But (laughs) otherwise, I mean... Just be aware of what you're walking yourself into.
0: I, I agree. I don't think either of us are trying to say that. Like, there, like there's a big difference between a good player who's trying to have fun and somebody who's just trying to just always do the optimal play. They're not mutually exclusive. But also, like, sometimes doing the dumb play is the fun play. Uh, and, or not even necessarily yeah. dumb. Knowing what you're getting yourself into is, will save you a lot of hassle, for one. Um, I, I guess I'm just trying to say like, we're not trying to tell you how to play the game. We want to we want you to enjoy the game more and to do that sometimes looking around at these things uh, and assessing threat uh, makes for generally possibly bigger and better plays. Well uh,
1: Threat assessment isn't just a case of is this going to put me in the hole? Threat assessment right. is also a case of okay I know that I want to do this big monster play but i'm two steps away from that what is the best way to get me to the point where i can do that big explosive play and even then you know what's the best way to get me to that big explosive play where it then doesn't mean that i am then the target like i said i mean i played doubling season and primal vigor maybe the better play would have been to play neither and waited because it could very well have turned out somebody else does something else and so then on my turn, when I do play that, I'm seen as the savior as opposed to the threat. So <laughs> it's, you know, this is sort of how, how you want to treat your threat assessment. It's, an, you know, decide what you want from the game and work your threat assessment accordingly. So, um,
0: yeah. yeah. And I think I think the, the common thread throughout this whole conversation has been, has been this idea of uh, looking first and foremost at the board state. But before we get there, Let's go to our thematically appropriate sponsor. Uh, We'll be right back. This episode of Temple of the False Pod is brought to you by Council's Judgment. Come to the table, we'll tell you who is guilty. Good or bad, let's come together and absolve you of their biggest threat. And now back to you. Yeah. So uh, as we as we start to uh, not necessarily to wrap up. What am I saying? As we start to come into the final turn of this beautiful marathon, uh, we are now starting to discuss the common theme throughout this whole episode, which has been board state. It's it's hard to ignore uh, the the effect board states have on uh, on on your threat assessment, on your particular. Uh, gonna say assessment of somebody's threat i mean that's what threat assessment is but my third grade english teacher would frown on me using uh the word in the definition (laughs) (laughs) um
1: board state is basically where you start and where you finish when it comes to threat assessment obviously hand size as we've discussed, is something that you really do need to consider because you can hide a lot of what isn't on the board in your hand. However, practically speaking, you need to look at what's on the board. These are these are the threats that are already there. This is what you can see, and you have to be able at least be able to deal with what you can see on the board and work your plan around that. You're going to have expectations for what they have in hand, and that also needs to be considered. But um, the board state itself is really where your threat assessment lies. And in particular, what's really important about the board state is, to me, this is an area where you and the other players on the board can see things differently. When you're talking about life totals, if Andy has a life total that's 55 and the rest of us are at 20, we're can we we we're all working with the same data and it's the same threat. He's got 30 more life than we do. Blah. That doesn't really change from from what seat I'm sitting in in the game. you just got more life. Uh, same with the hand size or the accessibility of cards that you can't really see. It's like, okay, we can all see that Andy has eight cards in hand. So we know that there's a significant threat there. But it's the same all round because it's an unknown. We don't know what's in that hand. Is it something right. that will more likely hurt one player or another? We don't know board state is something that we know and it makes the threat assessment from one player to the next different it has to like i described at the start of the game when i described a situation where i had 20 22 tutu zombies and somebody else had three tutu flyers your threat assessment of that situation is going to change depending on what you have maybe you have a wrath in hand so neither of those are, are all that concerned <laughs> Maybe you've got an earthquake in hand in which case my 20s dummies don't mean Jack but the guy with the three two two flyers can still hit you for six even after you've played the earthquake Your threat assessment changes based on what you have in your hand and based on a lot on what's on the board now it's amazing how uh, how difficult it can be for some players to see this. And try and convince other people uh that their threat assessment is the accurate one. It's not necessarily yeah. the accurate one. It's you have determined that the threat to you is most dire from one person. The guy sitting next to you does can can be looking at the same board state
0: and know that it's just not as dangerous for them. I mean Not only that, yeah, like it's they they could have answers. Like I've played so many games on arena where you know three turns in somebody just like goes good game because like they think they've won and it's like but I've got I've got these cards I could counter you what do you and it like i've I've actually had to stop playing arena for a while I haven't played in a couple months just because I'm just like getting so frustrated with like this idea that because you can see your hand you think you have perfect information and the fact that nobody else can see your hand makes it better for you but know that you can't see their hand um i think that's it's it's like an out of sight out of mind thing um at least for me where it's like i have to remember that my opponents could have answers to my threats but they also don't know what's in my hand right uh comes down to this idea of they don't know what they don't know which like yeah that's pretty straightforward but uh the more you dig into it, it's like, they can assume all they want about your handful of six lands and, you know, a 2-2 a Humboldt effector. Um, but the way they see it, it could be, you know, a lightning bolt, uh, a counterspell, two lands, and whatever. Like, the unknown information is uh, both good for you and bad for you. Um and going into a board state assessment, it's easy to look at a table of say three four fours without trample or 12 one ones which it's it's the same amount of power, but uh, what am I saying?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, what you're saying is that that can produce a different a different type of threat, right? Depending on your personal board state, you know, if you have if you've got propaganda then the guy with <laughs> with 12 one ones who's gonna have to pay two mana for each one of those one ones to swing in it that's not it, suddenly 12 ones are a much less threat to you than the three four fours or the four three threes or however you want however you want to set that up now yeah if the guy who has 12 ones also happens to be playing green, and has enough mana for crater hook behemoth, then maybe you want to reconsider your threat assessment. In any event, I mean that's you know, that's the balance of board state versus versus cards in hand and working that out and the likelihood of that they would have some way to to make that worse than than the other guy. The other part is just trying to be aware of how others are doing their threat assessment. If I'm a I'm a Rakdos deck and I look at the guy, say with the Propaganda. Well, the Propaganda is a problem for me because I don't want to pay the two mana to have all my creatures attack. And in the same breath, I don't have a lot of ways to actually get rid of the enchantment. Black and red don't do that very well. You're going <laughs> to be stretching to find ways to get rid of it. Well, that's my threat assessment. The guy next to me is playing selesnia He's got three ways to kill an enchantment in his hand. However, he's also uh playing a setup where he doesn't need to attack to beat this player whether it's uh you know whether he's you know doing some kind of a loop or setting something up however it is he doesn't need to attack so his his assessment is that this person's not a threat at all and the propaganda certainly is no threat so you've got two different people who are looking at the same board state and have come to very different conclusions as far as the threat assessment you like me as the rakdos player needs to understand that the Selesnia player doesn't see this guy as a threat at all. So you have to either figure out a way to make him see that this is a threat, or figure out another way to encourage him to use one of his ways to get rid of enchantments. The blunt way is, well, just so you know, I can't attack him because of the propaganda. I can attack you. (laughs) Maybe if the propaganda wasn't there, I'd be more inclined to swing at the other player give them give them a reason to take their threat assessment and realize oh all i have to do is this to resolve the threat that's against me you're just changing you're just re readjusting their threat assessment so that they understand what's happening now maybe blunt force threats is not the way to go assess the threat assess how that person is likely going to deal with this stuff um, and just sort of go from there but just understand that the board state uh, will lead to different people coming to different conclusions as far as threat assessment. And you will want to try and work out how everybody else is also assessing the board. This isn't just a case where you, you do your threat assessment and then make what you believe is the appropriate move based on that assessment. You need to know what everybody else is thinking as well. And then including that in your threat assessment, because that's how you're going to decide what to play. So if your opponents are all thinking, this guy is no threat at all, but to you, it's death, then you need to be overwhelmingly against that one person. Um, (laughs) There are plenty of times when, and this happens in almost every one of my games, when I look around the board, I make the determination that one person is the threat, then Why would I attack somebody who isn't my primary threat? The only reason to do it is if they don't see this person as the primary threat. If they see it as me, they're going to do stuff to further hurt me. It's like, okay, but that's where, that's where it needs to change. You either need to convince them that this person is the threat, is a threat to them, not just you. Or you need to readjust how you're acting. In my case, I consistent. I just consistently go with the idea that why why am I doing this person's work for them?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I think too with that like there's this idea. I mean, with with it being generally a four player game, there's levels of threat assessment. Not only is threat assessment always changing with each action, but there's levels of threat assessment where it's like if you are not the biggest threat um you want to know who's the biggest threat and and who's the next biggest threat i think this is one of the first things you ever taught me while playing uh a four-player game is like if you kill the person who is in the lead and you are the next biggest threat then everybody's coming after you so it's this it's this secondary game i guess of like all right i gotta figure out uh once this threat is dealt with what's the next threat and sometimes not necessarily getting a head start on it but sometimes like uh recognizing that can help uh the politics of certain rounds go more your way or knowing if you're you know in dead last using the politics of that I mean, knowing who's the least threat is also a threat has Um, If you're in dead last, using that to your advantage to get ahead later in the game, it always pulls out those surprising wins of like, oh my god, that person was <laughs> doing nothing all game. And then everybody took everybody else out. And you're left with a person at, I don't know, 20 life and a few creatures and a person who just took out the, the second person uh, with like, a handful of life and all our creatures are tapped. So it's like, uh, if other people aren't doing their threat assessment or if you're just doing better threat assessment, then using it to your advantage to then get things to go your way sometimes has, I feel like that was so vague. (laughs) No, it it wasn't just because
1: essentially what you're saying is you have to reassess your threat assessment all the time. Yes. All the time. At the start of an opponent's turn, you've made your threat assessment, you've made a decision as far as who's the primary, who's secondary, you've looked at your board state, you've looked at other people's board states, you've determined who you believe they should see as the primary threat, maybe stuff in their hand as them making a different decision, but you've made your determinations. As soon as that person starts to do something, if they get to the point where they draw a card move through their first main phase without doing anything. Well, hang on. Stop right there. Your threat assessment now needs to change because it means that it's likely they didn't, you know, whatever they're planning to do, it's something that they feel better doing after combat. Are they going to be putting plus one, plus one counters on creatures? Well, they probably would have done that before combat. So they're at least not doing it at sorcery speed. Does that affect your threat assessment? And you can go that way And then loop around again and again now obviously for the most part the overall overarching threat assessment doesn't really change based on you know moving from one phase of a a turn to another but when your threat assessment is based on the idea that they've got 10 creatures and they're probably going to swing six of them your way how do i adjust this when they get through combat and they didn't send anything your way you're like okay now i need to reassess because clearly they they think something else either they don't think i'm a threat at all which means what do they have in their hand
0: <laughs>
1: or there or you need to take a better look at what else is going on on other parts of the table maybe you maybe you made your assessments with the assumption that somebody had something in hand but that move strongly suggests that they don't and they're looking for help from you to do something it's a constant reassessment of what's going on. And if you're not always doing that, then you are behind and you're just throwing away an opportunity to, to get the edge.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, uh, to kind of wrap it up for me, at least um, going off of that same idea that just reminded me of a story uh, where I was, it, it was you, me and a couple other people playing and I had two lands in hand. Uh, but i knew everyone else was expecting that i had some sort of instant removal or some sort of board wipe um and i just kept those hands in land or lands in hand uh and uh i had to use the bathroom so bad i was just like <laughs> if i get up from the table i'm giving it away i'm giving away i don't have anything and uh i held it and the bluff worked um and it's it's just funny to think back on and be like if I had gotten up and literally done anything else, it, the jig was up. Um, and so I used uh, everyone else's board state threat assessment um, to my favor. I don't think I won that game, but I don't. I pff, I don't, I'd hardly keep track. Of yeah, it. you had fun. Yeah, and caused yourself some permanent bladder damage, maybe. But <laughs> whatever, you know. It's magic. It's fun. It's magic. Um. That's that's the that's the. That's our tagline, right? Yeah. It's magic. Um, as far as my
1: wrap, uh, we talked about the these three points: is life total hand size and board state. Obviously, with threat assessment, you need to measure all three of them. You need to give them proper weight. Uh, you also need to look at other things. Look at how people are are behaving. Look at, you know, every everything. Virtually everything can play into that. I just wanted to talk about three of what, what I think are the some of the more basic parts of threat assessment. And I wanted to sort of discuss that with everyone and just keep, you know, give everyone a reminder that even even for people like, like myself who are playing this game, uh, not necessarily to win, but you know, to do big plays and have fun with their friends. Threat assessment for me is fun and it also allows me to create situations where the big plays can happen. The wow moments are more likely to happen because I've done a threat assessment and said, I think getting from A to Z, the the best path to get there is to go through this big winding loop. And that winding loop is based on my threat assessment. So I think I get to do more big, crazy shenanigans than I would if I was just simply blundering along looking to play those big shenanigans <laughs> because you really do need to set them up. Um, in any event, yeah. that's Threat yeah. Assessment.
0: Um, yeah, uh, the big TA. TA. Anyway, Threat Assessment. Uh, thank you for listening. We're Temple of the Pod. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. Our decks, they're not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Thank you again for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye hey everyone andy here thank you so much for listening to this episode of temple of the fall spot just a few housekeeping things here at the end of the show you can find us on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts subscribe and give us a review it really helps out the show and it'll show us what you like about our podcast. Uh, also, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. Our handle is falsepodmtg, all one word. So be sure to follow us. Feel free to reach out to us there or drop us an email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com and tell us your favorite magic-related story. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to you and to Bruce. He's Burned on Twitter. And I'm Andy Weekend on Twitter and Twitch. We're Temple of the FalsePod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the temple.